But I mean, even growing up and I mean, all my life, I can't think of a single point in my life where it was like, oh, this is a day of love. No, mm-hmm. you're right. It's This is the day of handing out cards at school yeah, to everybody Yeah, I hated knows. that so much. So, and and that's it. Like, that's that's always how it's been. So, mm-hmm. and now, like, now that we're, we're adults and I've been married, you know, I mean, ever since, even since we were dating, mm-hmm. Penny and I were just kind of like of the mind of Valentine's Day, like, yeah, that's great. It's a pain in the ass to get a movie. Like it's a pain right. in the ass to go to a movie. It's a pain in the ass to go and get dinner anywhere. It's like we don't need a specific day to show yeah. each other that we care for each other. We'll do it tomorrow. We'll yeah, do it the yeah. next day. We'll do it every other day of our lives. So that's kind of the, the where I'm at. So, but but yeah, like if you you celebrate Valentine's Day, then more power mm-hmm. to you. I love you. That's great. Happy. By the way, this is Creature Crunch, the uh, podcast where we take a a big monster, uh, we flood him into a basement, and we make tender, sweet love to him. My name is Matt. And I'm a wild creature. You can't ask me to be anything else. And uh, we are celebrating... Uh, the, uh, the, the greeting cardiest of holidays, yeah. Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Sure. Um, we, <laughs> we decided that we needed to cover a movie that was, uh, about love. I mean, honestly, I, I, I almost wanted to say that this is the first love move, like love it, story we've covered, not. but it's not. Cause we did the fly. And Love and Monsters. And Love and Monsters, yeah. So... Yeah. And this isn't the first Del Toro movie we've done, because we did Mimic. Yep. And... No, this is not a first anything. Yeah. No, no, this ha- this has one big first in it. You are correct. I stand corrected. Yeah. We got nips. This is this is first Creature Crunch nudity. <laughs> no, that's not even true. It really? What else had full Thanks nudity? Kill- oh, full nudity, no. Yeah. Thanks Killing had tits. Well, it had, had, yeah, it had a boob. It had a it had boobs. It had boob in the first shot. But this but... one does have full, full nudity, yeah, which, yeah. I mean... Okay, fine. I'll give it to you. First, yeah, first I mean, full that's... nudity. And, and first nudity that's not there to be, like, titillating. It's yeah, no, no. It's artistic it's nudity. Artus- well, yeah. <laughs> artisanal nudity. Artisanal nudity. <laughs> Handcrafted <laughs> artisanal nudity. <laughs> no, but uh, artistic nudity is a pretty uncommon trait well, in movies yeah, yeah, in general, yeah. especially <laughs> horror. So Especially in our chosen uh, genre. Yeah. Uh, so this is an outlier and probably should not be counted. <laughs> Spiders, <What>? boobs, <laughs> <laughs> boobies, George. <laughs> but um, but yeah, we are covering. We're, we're hitting on uh, Del Toro's Shape of Water. Yeah. And, uh, and I think it kind of goes without saying uh, that we freaking adore this, this movie. This is such a good movie. Like, yeah, everything. Yeah, I, I can't. I, everyone's seen this movie by this point because, you know, Best Picture Award winner, you know, Del Toro's probably highest rated movie other than maybe Pan's Labyrinth. Um, yeah, this is not one that we have to recommend. No. You, you've watched it, heard this movie like glorified by people bigger than us <laughs> right right absolutely although if for whatever reason you are the the one percent that has not uh-huh. and is that that weird place where you are unfamiliar or just haven't seen yeah. it 
freaking watch this movie. I mean, shit, um, my, my parents watched this movie, and this is <laughs> so not in their wheelhouse. Yeah, no, it, it's it's still a it's an interesting concept of a movie to me because I remember when I heard about this, uh-huh. it was like, wow, this is so niche. Like, yeah. But and then well, it was, it's like when we went to go see it in theater, we couldn't see it in town. We had to drive out of town to go see it at, a, at a big theater. We did, we did. Um, I mean, that was a great experience because that was it was awesome. I loved that. But. Yeah, but uh, so obviously, if you don't, if you haven't seen the movie, if you're one of those people who yeah. hasn't watched this, this, this is going to be a spoiler heavy review, and I think this is one where the spoilers matter. Yeah, absolutely. No, this is one where I would recommend you watch the movie before. Continuing on continuing with our on. goofy ass talk about. Um, yep, um, but it is a. Uh, it's not a, ho- a horror movie. It's not no. a uh, creature feature in the traditional sense. No, no. This is a romance movie. Uh, it's a. It's a, it's yeah. a, an artistic romance. Yeah, yeah, like that's what it is, and it is a beautiful. It is a very Every, poetic movie. Everything in this movie hurts so beautifully. Mm-hmm. We're gonna go ahead and jump in and talk about uh, 2017's The Shape of Water. Mm-hmm. Uh, the name of the movie comes from Plato's idea that water in its purest form takes the shape of an uh, icosahedron, which indicates the many faces that humanity and beauty can have. And Chris, do you know what else takes the shape of an icosahedron? No. A D20. Boom! Oh, Destiny. Okay. <laughs> I don't even know what that is, my man. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is a D20. An icosahedron is a 20-sided shape. Okay. So uh, so Plato thinks that water is a 20-sided... Oh, I don't know the, I don't know the, the... the, <laughs> the philosophy behind Plato, that. Plato, you crackhead. <laughs> but I'm just saying, uh, we got our first D&D link right out of the gate. Oh, God. So... Um, according to IMDb, Del Toro told the National University of Mexico TV channel that uh, had the film flopped, he would have retired from directing. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't find any other info to back this up. I couldn't find a source on this at all. But I also kind of believe it to a degree. Uh, according to that, he also said the same thing about Pan's Labyrinth and uh, it, The Devil's Backbone. Because, it's very much a dramatic, like his type of dramatic statement. Well, exactly. And also he has a such a deep and personal connection to these films. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, every movie he makes is very personal to him. Like, mm-hmm. even even Mimic, which was should have been just like a little throwaway monster flick, like, is still very highly connected to, to him and his ideas and philosophies. I couldn't find any supporting evidence on this, but I again, I do believe it. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, fortunately for all of us, as we previously mentioned, the movie was a smashing success. Huge, huge. Uh, this, not only... Like, re- this movie, references to this movie were everywhere. Yeah. At that time. Yeah, not only did it win the Best Picture at the 90th Academy Awards in 2018, but it grossed over $194 million over a $19 million budget and was the highest grossing Best Picture winner in five years. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, that is... Something. Um, Kevin Smith tweeted that uh, after he saw the trailer, he tweeted that uh, seeing something as beautiful as this makes me feel stupid for ever calling myself a director. <laughs> um, the the film was written by Del Toro mm-hmm. and co-written by Vanessa Taylor, uh, who was the first female writer that he has worked with. Um, and unfortunately, Taylor's writing credits were are pretty limited and include the 2019 Aladdin remake. Ooh. But uh, hopefully she, uh, I don't know. That was that may have just been a, a shotgun. Yeah, I mean to be fair job. though, from the Aladdin remake, like everybody agrees that in the Aladdin remake, Jasmine's character is handled incredibly yeah. well. So yeah. Um, okay. 
But now we get to, yes, the movie, it starts with credits rolling over a submerged hallway in an apartment where we find our protagonist, Eliza Esposito. Mm-hmm. She's kind of dreaming. She's she's floating slowly, um, up, you know, she's floating in the water above her couch uh, where she sleeps. And as the, uh, um, and, and Giles, we get a brief narration from Giles kind of setting up this fairy tale-like mm-hmm. love story. Giles, Giles. Excuse me, Giles, thank yeah. you. I'm going to do that a lot. No, because, well, for me, it's because that's how it was pronounced in Buffy, was yeah. Giles. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, Giles is giving us a brief narration, setting up this fairy tale-like love story. And as he's wrapping it up, uh, she slowly floats down to the couch bed, and the water fades away, and she wakes up to her alarm. Mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, but it, yeah, he—it's he, a very fairy tale thing. Like he even calls her the princess without a voice, and, right? And he talks about the monster who would destroy it all. Yeah, uh, and it's 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 a neat narration um, mm-hmm. and it immediately sets the tone of this beautiful movie when I tell you about her the princess without voice or perhaps I would just warn you about the truth of these facts and the tale of love and loss and the monster who tried to destroy it all um, we're introduced officially to Eliza, and we get to watch her go through her daily routine. Mm-hmm. Uh, we learn that she has a set of scars on her neck, and she really enjoys a good bath while she waits for her eggs to boil. The the Amazon subtitles were I have magical. <laughs> I have a note about that, yeah, too. Yeah, I have several. <laughs> um, my only note here is that who the hell would put an apartment above a movie theater? <laughs> like, I could see that happening, actually, but... For one thing, you would want to reinforce that floor a little bit more than they appear to have. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if you, you'd want an on-site bath at that point. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, but um, interestingly enough, the movie perform- uh, premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival in 2017. And the screening was held at the Elgin Theater, which is exactly where these internal shots of this theater took place. Oh, really? Yep. That's wild. Yep. So, uh, so at the screening, people were watching this theater that they were in sitting in. That's <laughs> got to be surreal. Yeah. Um, the movie playing at the theater is the story of Ruth right. from 1960, which tells the story of an orphaned woman who was raised in a religious community. Uh, she falls in love with an outsider who is prosecuted and imprisoned mm-hmm. for his differing beliefs. And in the film, she seeks to free herself as well as him. There's so many things in this movie that are mm-hmm. re- are reflective of the main plot. Yep. Like, everything from the story of Ruth playing on the screen to, like, the civil rights movement going on in the background on TV sets, uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis going on over the radio. Everything is reflective of this plot. Yep. And... Like that's very that's another Del Toro thing. Like absolutely everything links. Everything links. Everything is deliberate. Everything is has meaning. I think yeah. is more to the point. I mean, in any given movie, everything is usually deliberate, but there, there's everything has meaning and sometimes multiple layers. Of right. It. There's deliberateness, and then there's doing things deliberately, and those are are that's, very different. That's a good point. So like, it's hard to accidentally do a movie. You can't accidentally an entire movie usually. I mean, there's. Some there, out there. there, there, there there's there the room is. and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but to actually do like purposeness and being doing things deliberately mm-hmm. is very different than just filming a movie. Yep. Yep. 
Um, but uh, at this point, I had my notes on Amazon subtitles, and those were specifically uh, they kept double apostropheing words for some reason. Yeah, I noticed that. Um, and also uh, brackets masturbating. Masturbating. <laughs> That shows up a couple times. A couple times, yes. Yeah. Because <laughs> we needed to know that that was the sound that was happening. Um, Eliza, of course, was played by Sally Hawkins, uh, who, when offered the role for Eliza, was apparently already working on a script for her own short film in which a woman turns into a fish. Oh, nice. That's I, a little I, bit again, of serendipity. Yeah, again, I couldn't corroborate this, but I really hope that's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and but she's amazing. Oh, she is incredible. Like, the whole cast is universally great. Yep. Uh, Del Toro wrote, wrote the script with several actors in mind while mm-hmm. he was writing it um, and made sure that they were cast as such. Uh, Sally Hawkins and Michael Shannon are two such examples. Um, G- Giles, on the other hand, was originally written for Ian McKellen. I could say that. Mm-hmm. But, I could very easily see that. Yeah, but the role, of course, was given to Richard Jenkins as uh, McKellen was unavailable. Yeah. So... And I, I think that uh, Jenkins does a Jenkins did great, job too, yeah. So. Um, but we see uh, Eliza shining her shoes and even preparing a nice dinner for her na- neighbor Giles, mm-hmm. who is a very talented artist who's making a poster ad for like a gelatin company or something. Yeah, he he's a ad copy artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also at this point learn that Eliza is mute. Mm-hmm. She cannot speak. She can only sign. She can hear, but she can't right. speak. Um, and I had the note that we're only seven minutes in, and already I would die for Eliza. Like, yeah. Sally Hawkins just... She acts oh my for God. a role in which she has, like, exactly two minutes of dialogue. She acts the shit out of this role. Dialogue, putting is putting it lightly, yeah, too. Yeah. So, no, she is expressive and charming, Ugh. and, like, I would die for her. <laughs> yeah. Um, she takes the bus to work, which is at some sort of lab as kind of an overnight cleaning lady. Uh, and she works with Zelda Fuller, who's played by the ever-amazing Olivia Spencer. She's so great in absolutely everything. Like, she's even the highlight, one of the highlights in the, the original Suicide Squad, and that movie blows. Right. Um, Spencer was apparently very excited to work with Del Toro, having mm-hmm. already been a huge fan, and reportedly said that she would take it, literally any role he offered her. <laughs> I, I saw in in some of my research that she even said, like, if he wanted me to play the desk, I would. <laughs> so She seems like a super cool lady. Yeah, absolutely. And naturally, she wasn't disappointed. She was given the incredibly important supporting role yeah. of being Eliza's voice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one thing that Spencer particularly loved about the screenplay was that since Eliza was mute, and obviously the creature doesn't speak, uh, the majority of the dialogue comes from a black woman uh-huh. and a closeted gay man. Uh-huh. Um, which is Giles. We, we find out later on that he is a closeted gay man. Yeah. Um, and this is especially important since the movie takes place in the 60s, where such a thing would have been considered unheard of and taboo. Well, like I said, that you see the civil rights movement going on in the background, and right. having a black woman as the voice of a white woman is just... Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it it's is great. impactful. Everything is great. <laughs> it's impactful to a degree that resonates... I, well... I, we're, okay, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say I love the movies that we watch for for this show. Like I enjoy it a lot. It's really nice to be able to watch something as fantastic as this. Absolutely, like something that reminds you that not only can movies be fun, but they can be moving and important. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, I've avoided it as best I could. But now it's time to get political. <laughs> Del Toro began writing this film in 2012, back when the Trump era was almost unimaginable to most people. Mm -hmm. uh, and due to his history and the way that he came to America, Del Toro is especially very sensitive about how foreigners and other minorities are treated in yeah. America. Uh, Del, Toro, Del Toro said that, in a way, he almost saw the MAGA movement coming. Yeah. Um, in 1962, which is, of course, when the film was set, uh, Kennedy was leading America towards an idealized future. But, of course, when he was assassinated, his that vision seemed to collapse. Right. And now, 60 years later, that racism, classism, and oppression that dominated the 60s has mutated and persisted. Del Toro says that when people say, make America great again, he knows that it actually rotting from within yeah um which is a sentiment that uh you know i know that you and i very much agree on yeah um so the fish rots from the head and the head's been sick for a while yeah so in a, in a way like this again like this you got to think this script was written beforehand but it, it means just all that much more now yeah possibly more so than it like it's it's there's a lot of layers here that that Del Toro, um, like you said, he kind of knew was going to be happening, but he also there's no way he could have right, and it, it just yeah, this movie is so important to me on so many levels because of this yeah so. yeah, uh, but to to bring us back to a little levity, um, uh, Olivia Spencer was so taken in with Del Toro and the movie set that she apparently asked how many of the props she could keep. <laughs> That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Does it say how many she got to keep? It did not. Okay. She just she just apparently really wanted most of the props, <laughs> which I can see. Like, I can see that Del There's... Toro's prop work is impeccable. God, um, like the people he knows for this stuff is like every one of his movies is gorgeous. They're beautiful to look at. They're fun to look at. Yeah. They're memorable, and they all have that Del Toro style. Yeah. Like one of my favorite things about Del Toro is his use of color. Oh yeah, um, yeah, for sure, and. Like, in this movie especially, there's, like, green. The color green is an incredibly important color. Yeah, it, it keeps showing up. It is a it's a reoccurring theme throughout the whole movie. Mm -hmm. um, and, like, all the way to the point of, like, the, the our fish man, our, our amphibian man is green. Mm -hmm. And um, our, our monster, Strickland, later on says he hates the color green. And it's like... There's so yeah. much there, and yet, and he's eating the green candy, and then of course the Jello on Giles is um, on his uh, on his painting. Like they want it green, not red. And then yeah. later on, Strickland is served green Jello and, and the key like, lime pie, the and, key lime pie, yeah. and like there's there's you know Del Toro uses lighting, um, colored lighting in all of the sets mm -hmm. and stuff to really emphasize that. You got green in the water, you got green in the glowing bits on the. There's a green everywhere. Yeah, uh, means so much, and I, I that's one thing that I really really love about Del Toro. Um, but uh, we we learn that uh, Zelda and Eliza work very closely together and are clearly very good friends. Mm -hmm. uh, Zelda complains about her ungrateful husband as they make their way into a new lab that's being set up for some kind of new asset. Yeah. That is of pretty great importance. Uh, the doctor in charge of said asset is Dr. Robert Hofstetler, played by Michael Stolberg. Mm -hmm. And he's really good in that role. He is fantastic. He's got a cute little face. Yep. Uh, again, he's one of the characters where it was just like, I love this guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Del Toro wrote 
um, apparently wrote lengthy backstories for each of the major characters. Some of these backstories over 40 pages oh long. Oh my gosh. And gave them out to the cast. And he told the actors that they could use as much or as little of the written backstories as they saw fit. Mm -hmm. So he wasn't like uh, a Kubrick and was like, you memorize this. Yeah, and we're going to shoot it 80 times yeah, and, until and you're gonna crying. Get, yeah, until that. No, it was, here. here's this... 40-page backstory. Yeah. I trust like, you to do the yeah, character. Yeah, you do what you do. And the, and and I was reading a lot about, um, especially in regards to Olivia Spencer, she mm -hmm. was saying, like, the way that Del Toro directs is he doesn't give everybody their motivations, like, in one, like, shouting it out to everybody. Right. He pulls each actor aside and gives them their motivations so that when the actors are on set and actually playing, they don't technically know what the other characters' right. motivations are. And that gives a lot of genuinality to yeah to the scenes he like he he's just <laughs> no, he's a he's a great director and uh truly he's a truly lovable guy too he is yeah um he uh so like you said he, he handed all these backstories out um and uh i i thought that was kind of funny because that also reminds me of some D, &D tropes yeah <laughs> but uh some people uh some of the actors like jenkins completely ignored the handouts and mm -hmm. like no i can do this without it Others, like Stahlberg, play, you know, he practically memorized well, his. Well, like, um, Stahlberg's character has so much going on in the background that you do not see until, like, the end of the movie. And right? <laughs> I know, I fully imagine that, like, when they're, like, some of these are over 40 pages long, like, his character is probably... Oh, yeah. <laughs> because, like, it, he's just got a lot of stuff that is necessary for, like, his twist and his reveal at, like, the halfway point. And his further reveal towards the end and stuff like that—that mm -hmm. that is just like, yeah, yep. That you can definitely infer from how he plays the character and how he interacts with other characters, but it's not implicit in the script. Yep. Um, and at this point, we are then introduced to the monster that would almost destroy it all. Yeah. Um, as well as the creature. Uh, as mentioned before, the role of Richard Strickland was written for. Um, was written for Michael Shannon and a who boy does he, he make is a violent antagonist so terrifying he is awful like and like oh in movies where del toro gets to do an actual antagonist because like mimic didn't really have one no but pan's labyrinth and this movie definitely have definitive antagonists mm -hmm. and they're terrifying they are horrific yeah and this is... Del Toro uh, definitely has opinions about military organizations. <laughs> yes, he does. Um, they they end up wheeling out this huge tank of water with something in it. Uh, something that's moaning. Yeah, <laughs> and Eliza like becomes very curious about what it is. Um, after ushering the girls out, we get some more interactions with Eliza and Giles the following day where they go to a pie bar. Uh-huh. Um... Dick, Dixie something. I don't. I didn't make Dixie a Daves or something like that. Something like that. But the, the it's supposed to be like a southern, like, home-style pie restaurant. Mm -hmm. Even though the, like, pie mascot is supposed to be Italian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, like, they even go so far as, like, the, the, uh, the pie... I call... I, the credits call him the pie guy. Pie I guy. call him pie bartender guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, he like, he has to have a fake southern accent while he's working. While he's dealing with the patrons, mm -hmm. yeah. But uh, they buy a pair of key lime pies, and, <laughs> and Giles begins flirting with the pie bartender guy. Mm -hmm. Which is a thing that, like, this is one of the reasons why this movie is important to watch multiple times. Because, uh, you know, we watched it in theaters way back, and the way my memory works with mm -hmm. movies is I didn't remember a lot. 
So when I was going into this watching it, I was pretty fresh. But And up until this point, like, even at this point, you don't know that Giles is a closeted gay man. Yeah. So it just seems like he's like, just, like, an awkward, awkwardly friendly old man. As, as soon as we got into this restaurant, I had such a visceral flashback to the later scene in the restaurant so, that it made my stomach drop out of my bowels. See, I forgot about that scene entirely. Oh my so God. So I like, was just like, oh, this is a nice little scene. I and I it, had to pause because I felt sick. Yeah, no, that it's we'll, we'll cover that here in a oh, minute. Oh yeah, yeah, but... but. Um, but yeah, when I watched, like when I scrubbed through this my second time to to, to take notes, like mm-hmm. then I could see the subtext and the con- and everything going on. Yeah, and that's exactly what's happening. Giles is flirting with this pie guy. Yeah, he's not just being a friendly old kind of awkward guy. He's he's legitimately he, yeah, flirting yeah. with him. Well, that that's why he goes there and he puts on the the toupee mm-hmm. and like this is the place where they always go and stuff like that. Like he. It's not great because it's doing that thing where you're flirting with a person in a service occupation. Right. And he thinks that the person is flirting back. Because he's being nice. Because he's being nice. Although and that's... We, yeah. We'll talk about that here in a minute. But... but So it, that's not great, but at the same time, you this is like the only social interaction that, that Giles has other than Eliza. Right. Right. So and... it, it, there's so many fucking layers, and it's like... You can't just say, well, this is a good thing or this is a bad thing because it just, it's, it, it, it's all the way down and yep. it's just. Yep. But I mean, even afterwards they're, they're eating the pie or they're sitting in Giles's apartment about ready to eat the pie. Mm-hmm. And like the, the, uh, the pie guy was just like, you know, y'all come back now you're here. And Giles is sitting there like, do you think he actually meant that? And it's like, again, if you don't know, it's just like, yeah. well, that's kind of a weird line. But then once you know, it's like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> they give us the spinners, the signage that there's pie boy or mascot. I don't talk like that. I'm from Ottawa. No. I completely bought it. That's a great to pie. The, the, uh, the little, little guy. Is he supposed to be Italian? I guess so. That was very clever. Y'all come back now, you hear? You all come back now. Do you think he meant it? He had noticed me. I mean, you, you heard that. Um, but anyway, they, they buy these these key lime pies um, and head back, like I said. They eat their pies and, and bond. Uh, Eliza is not a fan of the key lime pie. She has a very green tongue after eating it, yep. And, yep. which is very funny. Um, and Giles puts the key lime pie into the fridge where he's just got... A ton of key a lime ton pies. of <laughs> it's like there's other types of pies, guy. Like if you, I don't like pie. I am not a pie person, mm-hmm. so I would not buy pie. Right, <laughs> but it, it like there's other pies. Try some of the other pies. <laughs> I think it's it's. I, I'm not. I wasn't entirely sure. Like even still, I'm not entirely sure what that's supposed to communicate. Like I don't know why he keeps buying a pie that he doesn't want to eat. But like, it, I know the implication is supposed to be that he goes there a well, lot. I, I know he goes there a lot. And but, the only thing I can think of is it's something he saw on the menu the first time he was there. And, like, just blurted that out when he was asked what he wanted. So that's his order. Now. Yeah, yeah. That's the quote-unquote usual. And he, he's kind of embarrassed to change it. That'd be my guess. That's the feeling I get. But other than that, I have no idea what yeah, that could yeah. mean. But 
Um, Eliza is flipping through the channels, briefly changes it to uh, the civil rights movement, and yeah. Giles asks her to change the station because he doesn't want to watch that depressing stuff. Well, yeah, it, it's it's a very triggering thing. So he's yeah. just like, no, no, turn it on. So they instead put on a musical and they there, dance together with it with their feet. Yeah, and... there's a lot of of old musicals in this mm-hmm. movie. I can't identify any of them. And I tried looking. I it am up. I not that not. type of queer. Um, <laughs> I am not a musical theater queer. Yeah. Um, so that just. All kind of flew under my radar, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I tried looking up to see to identify some of these. I couldn't. I know one of them had Shirley Temple in it. I think that. Yeah, but but anyway, um, but they they sit there and they're you know dancing with their feet and it's just damn it, these characters are all so cute. They're yeah. Oh! <laughs> um, the next night, uh, Eliza and Zelda are cleaning the men's bed bath the bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> the next night, Eliza and Zelda are cleaning the men's bathroom, and Zelda complains about how disgusting men are. Yeah, and like <laughs> you got to splice in that line. I know. Yeah, she's some of the best minds in the country peeing all over the floor in this here facility. Mm, mm, mm. There's pee freckles on the ceiling there. How'd they get it up there? Yeah, I'll, the I'll definitely do country. that. Yeah. Um, and then Strickland enters in and ups that ante. And then it's like, this is this oh, is where you're so really, creepy in the scene. This scene establishes Strickland 100. percent Yeah. Um, like in that first scene when he when they're wheeling in the asset. Mm-hmm. You can tell that he is a bastard. Yeah. He's the only person in the entire facility wearing an all-black suit, for one thing. Everyone else is wearing white lab coats or security uniforms and stuff like that. And he's wearing an all-black, like, three-piece suit. Right. Um, and But he's just kind of strict in that scene. Yeah. He's, like, he, he's, he's taking over for the other security, uh, lead security person. Mm-hmm. And he's just kind of strict. What And, like, off-putting, but not terrible yet this scene he goes from zero to a hundred on the bastardometer absolutely um he he for one thing he brings a cattle prod in with him a a cattle prod that is dripping blood yep so Uh, and then he encourages the ladies to stick around while While he he urinates yeah Um, and then he he does the dick pose while he's peeing with his hands on his hips and doing a widespread yeah he pees with his hands on his hips he washes his hands before he pees yeah not after he makes it a very clear point um and then he gives them this really creepy speech about when washing hands like when a man washes his hand defines his character yeah oh no no a man washes his hands before or after tending to his needs. It tells you a lot about a man. He does it both times, points to a weakness in character. And uh, we also learn that he is the head of the security. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, it's, it, it, it establishes it's, so much. It's so bad. Um, Later, while the uh, the pair are changing trashes in the hallway, they overhear a commotion in the fishman's room, mm-hmm. and Strickland stumbles out, missing two fingers. Yeah, he's already gotten a little bit of comeuppance. Yeah, um, Str- and this like has it, it seems like it's especially after the fact it's, that it's just kind of be like, oh, he's got an injury and he's mad at whatever's in there. This like this injury becomes like one of his driving motivations for the rest of the movie mm-hmm. it's, in weird ways. It's it's almost his Captain Captain Ahab story. Yeah, it's... Or injury. Yeah, really. yeah. Um, yeah, his, uh, his assistant Fleming, played by David Hewlett, asks Eliza and Zelda to clean up the mess mm-hmm. while they go and get and, him And Fleming was the old head of security before Strickland arrived. 
Is that a question? Uh, that, no, I'm just... Oh, okay. That's a clarification. Yeah. Okay. And <laughs> because that influences some of the things that Fleming does later on. Right. Where he is very, very subtly undermining Strickland. Uh-huh. But in ways that totally fuck him up. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so they, they, they go in, they, they start cleaning up the blood. Uh, and there's and a lot of it. There's a lot of it. Uh, Zelda's talking about how much she does not like cleaning up blood. She can handle everything else. Uh-huh. Um, and while she's doing this, Eliza finds Strickland's fingers and puts them into a paper bag. And Zelda asks if they're tater tots. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a tater tot? Oh, it's a finger. Yeah, Zelda doesn't like blood. Eliza is unfazed by everything. She is like, she is the most unflappable woman I've ever seen. Like. Yeah, she's she's pretty composed. Um, Zelda quickly rushes out to get Fleming, and while she's gone, Eliza finally sees the creature for the first time. Yeah, we we meet Doug Jones. Yep, she notices it bleeding and almost instantly forms a connection with it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and now let's talk about this creature, Chris. Yeah. Um, the amphibian man, as he's known in the film, is played, as you said, by the one and only Doug Jones. Uh-huh. Uh, it took Jones three hours, um... For, to uh, to get into the suit with makeup and everything. I, I believe it. Which is actually pretty short compared to his other Del Toro roles. With, um, uh, well, with Abe the... Sapien like, had dialogue. Abe, Abe Sapien had to have a moving and functioning mouth and throat. Yep, yep, yep. Like, yep. And then, of course, and the Pale Man apparently also took a lot longer, too. So. I, yeah, I can believe that. Um, but evidently... He had to really act for that one. Yeah, evidently, since the creature doesn't speak, Jones studied dogs to try to kind of replicate how they responded to... Uh, to stimuli, to, to stimuli, vocal yeah. stimuli, and stuff, uh, and he also studied matadors to kind of, really? gain a, yeah, to to kind of emulate a lot of their pelvis first and fluid alluring movements. Okay, so. I can. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I get more of that from the dance sequence later. I think. Well, the dance but... sequence, and even when he, you see him fully submerged, like yep. when he's in the the vertical tank, mm-hmm. like he's very much like doing an Elvis thing with his hips. Yep. <laughs> yep. So. um... Apparently on set, the crew called the amphibian man Charlie. Again. Yes. We keep running into Charlies. Yes. So this is the second time that... This is obviously the second movie we've covered with a fish man. And the, both of them have been named Charlie. I have to wonder if that's because of Charlie the Tuna. It is exactly because of Charlie the Tuna. Hey, all right. Yep. Go me. Yep. This is yep, the mascot for Starkist. Um, it, I didn't see that in the notes for Sweetheart, but... I have to imagine it's... Yeah, like, there's no way that's a coincidence. Yeah. So, um, it's also no secret that Del Toro was inspired by the creature of the Black Lagoon. Well, I, I yeah, this is Creature from the Black Lagoon from the other direction. Yeah. Instead of, um, it's Creature from the Black Lagoon, which I do want to cover on here someday, is about people going to the Amazon and harassing a fish man until it gets mad and attacks them. This one, they bring the fish man back, and harass them until he gets mad and he falls in love. <laughs> yeah. Um, Del Toro watched the film when he was six, and he thought that it would be pretty neat if the creature and Julie Adams, who played Kay Adams in that original right. film, would end up living together. And he kind of jokes that since he was six, he didn't really know any better. But now that he's 53 and apparently still doesn't know any better because he made this movie. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, like, male aggressive undertones in Creature from the Black Lagoon. And this is if... The creature wasn't a horrible rape monster. Well, like, exactly. This is this is creature from the black black lagoon where the villain, the monster, is not the creature. Correct. <laughs> yeah. So, um, 
And uh, the creature has some really cool sounds. I'll be splicing those here. In, in uh-huh. here but Do, Did you find any notes on like what the sounds are composed of? The only one that I could find was that apparently uh, part of the amphibian man's noises included Del Toro's breathing. Ooh, he's... You should get that look. <laughs> he's, he's got something in yeah. there. <laughs> Might have a bit of like, I don't know, sleep apnea or something. <laughs> I think they just recorded him while he was asleep. Yeah. Did you have any, anything else you want to talk about on as far as the creature design goes, Chris? Uh, he got sensual lips and pretty eyes. <laughs> he got big. He does. He does have big, full lips. Yeah. <laughs> the following day, Eliza is telling Giles about the creature before he heads off to present his finished work to the marketing firm. Right. Um, and, and Giles directly references the Fiji mermaid. Giles. Giles. Damn it! I did it. Yes, you did. Giles yeah. directly references the Fiji mermaid. Yep. Uh, and uh, he's he's talking to her, and I love the hesi- little hesitation that she has when when he tells her that cornflakes were invented to prevent masturbation. That's f- so funny. And she only resumes eating when he says that it, it didn't, didn't work. work. <laughs> like that is just it's good. It's good. Um. But yeah, he heads off to present his work, and he's told that the red jello in the picture should be green, and, and the family should be. Happier. The, the family should look happier. Uh, there also seems to be some sort of tension between Giles and, and this guy he's talking to, whose name is Bernie. Yeah, I am bad at picking up on this stuff. Were they a couple? Well, so, I, again, you watch it the first time, you don't get that. It's, it's uh, like, there's definitely tension between them, but it very much feels like professional tension. Almost like this is a previous employer yeah. who, well, I, I know. And I think much... there's part of, there, there are shades of that, but... Upon watching it a second time, mm-hmm. I can almost guarantee that they were an item to okay. some degree, because there is romantic. There, there yeah, seems to definitely. be romantic Just tension the, there. The way so. that that Giles is longing to be back with this guy, yeah, in whatever capacity he'll have. Him. Yeah, at, at the very, very least, it's an analogy. Yeah, but I, I, I guarantee I you think that they it's, were together. Yep. Yeah. So, um, yeah. That's all. There, that's all that can be said there. But uh, but yeah, Giles has to go back. We learn that basically, the company wants to use an actual photograph, but Giles is really and, pushing and to. Giles is pushing for it, and, and so's and Bernie. Bernie, is, Bernie is, pulled is, some strings and and fought yeah. for him to use this painting. But they need the Jello to be green, and the family needs to be happier. Yeah. Um, and I I could I had the note that I I, I can't help but wonder how many artists like uh-huh. can relate to Giles in relation to commission work. I'm sure the number is staggering. Yeah. <laughs> Probably close to 100%. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, anyway, the uh, Eliza heads into the creature lab to have her lunch, and she gives him an egg. Yeah, she yeah. offers him an egg in this trying time. Yep, she teaches him the sign for eggs in the process. Yeah. And he picks it up pretty quick, like, what she's trying to communicate to him. Yes. Like, oh, very, this very is, quick. and this is the symbol. Okay, I gotcha. Yep. I, I probably wouldn't pick it up that fast. I'm really dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
Yeah, but you're also not a fish man. I am not, no. Despite my best efforts. <laughs> but uh, Strickland calls Eliza and Zelda into his office uh, to, I, I guess, uh, thank them for finding his fingers. Yeah. Um, and we get an even more uncomfortable oh, he's establishment. So of gross. The, yeah, we... He's just, he's such a sleazeball. Yeah. Um, his, he, <laughs> Everything note, out of his mouth is pure condescension uh, in this scene. Yeah, it's like, Everything. I, I the note, my personality is criticizing people's middle names. And last names. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he goes on this this rant about how um, Zelda's middle name is a biblical reference to a... In a his traitorous eye, woman. In, yeah. A traitorous woman, and that uh, uh, Eliza's last name indicates that she's an, an orphan, orphan, and it's bad. Um, but he, he show, reveals that he's had his fingers attached, but there is a chance that it won't take. Hint, hint. Yeah. Um, we also learn that the scars on Eliza's neck are likely the cause of her predicament. Of her, her muteness. Mm-hmm. And he warns the pair to stay out of the lab. Uh, he says that they found it in the Amazon River south in, of South America, where it was worshipped as a god, which is another reference to the creature of the Black right. Lagoon, like you mentioned. Uh, after they leave, Strickland gets a call from the Air Force General, uh, Frank Hoyt, played by Nick Searcy. Um, Strickland wants Hoyt to visit so that they can make some sort of decision about this creature. Uh, and it's it's at this point, like, you're starting to get the idea that Strickland just wants to kill this thing out of revenge. Yeah. He yeah. wants this thing dead. He wants to study it, you know, you know on a lab, on a, on, a, on a dissection table rather than... Alive. In, yeah. Alive, yep. Yeah. Um, and then we get to see Strickland returning home from work where he has the it's 1960s platonic family. Right. It is the very... stereotypical nuclear family. Yeah, they are all... One boy, one girl, like, nice clean house with the wife staying at home, cooking him food while they watch TV and... And their their conversation is all about how excited they are about the idealized future and... Yeah. Oh, we're going to have jetpacks and... Uh, yeah, and he, he says, of course we will. This is America. Yeah, exactly. Which is a chilling line. Right? <laughs> and, you know, I mean, it, I mean it, it's even so far as, like, they have the breakfast out for him, the kids are yeah. bringing him his newspaper, like, they practically bring him his slippers almost. Like, they each give him a kiss on the cheek as they go to school mm-hmm. and it's... And then him and his wife go upstairs and do they, a sex. Yeah, they have they have gross they have they have really gross gross, <laughs> gross finger reattached sex. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. He uh, Strickland also kind of just makes the decision that he wants a new car uh-huh. um, and is rewarded again with sex. Um, and we discover also that he has a fetish for a quiet woman. And, <laughs> yep, hate this man. Hate I, this man. I throw up in my mouth. Uh huh. Moving on. Uh, Eliza sneaks in a record player into the lab. This and, is so cute. Yeah, she shares more eggs with the amphibian man. Uh, she teaches it the sign for music, and they begin to bond over a uh-huh. montage. And he ends up liking music. Yep. Like, he keeps he, asking for her to turn it back on. Yep. Uh, we also see Hofstetler witness Eliza communicating with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we cut to a scene where he has a meeting with a Russian contact at a quarry. Yeah. Uh, we learn that he's a Russian spy sent to study yeah. the creature. Or, he's a sleeper agent. Yeah, or to sabotage the Americans from learning too much right. about it. Um, Eliza goes to the lab one day to find the creature chained to the floor and wounded. She quickly hides when Strickler comes in to uh, torture it. Uh, and while doing so, he ends up finding an egg that she accidentally left there but before it's so weird because i always thought this egg was going to come back in a bigger way right and it lets him kind of put together the connections at the very end of the movie 
Right. But well, when you when you see it, yeah, you're like, oh no, he found the egg. But Later then, on, he's gonna find an egg and oust her. But. Right. But then you realize, no, because that would require him to pay attention to her. <laughs> and she, in his eyes, she, the cleaning crew, especially, is so far beneath him that he doesn't need to. Yep. They're there for his convenience to be used at his leisure. Yep. So why would he notice what they're having for lunch? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I hate this is, man. He's awful. <laughs> yeah, and but before, Michael Shannon is so good. <laughs> he's he's good at making us hate this. Man. Yeah. So it's it's another one of those distinctions of you you hate the character. Oh not yeah, the actor, yeah. So. He's, he's so just, loathsome. Just but... like John Voight, we hate the actor, not the character. <laughs> <laughs> the character is a piece of shit too. But... Yeah, but he's fun. He's funny. <laughs> But uh, this is not an Anaconda episode. This is not um, an Anaconda podcast. <laughs> yep. But, bef- but before Strickland can investigate further, General Hoyt shows up to discuss what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and Strickland is trying to convince Hoyt to let him uh, vivisect the amphibian man while Hofstetler is trying to convince them to keep him alive. Right. Because we learn that Hofstetler, even though he is a sleeper agent, he's there to sabotage the Americans, he is also a man of science. He mm. wants... To learn everything he can about this creature, and right. he has compassion for it. Not just that, but he does say that he finds this creature beautiful. Yeah, and and wants to protect him. Yeah, exactly. He is a he's he's a good he's a good man, uh-huh. as Eliza says later. Um, Eliza overhears all of this and quickly forms a plan to liberate the amphibian man from the facility. Uh, she tries to convince Giles to help, but he resists. Uh, she gives him a very powerful speech, oh, yeah. demanding that he repeat to her what she signs. I'm gonna splice this entire thing in. It's because it's even, such a strong scene. It is, and even though it's you know she's signing, he since he repeats it, it'll, it'll work great for this media. So I'm gonna put the whole thing in here because it's great. The only thing that'll be lost is how passionate she is. Yeah, and I love how passionate she is. All right, I w- I will repeat it to you. What am I? I move my mouth like him. I make no sound like him. What does that make me? All that I am, all that I've ever been, brought me here to him. See, you're saying him, it's a him now. It's a... You just hit me. Oh, Eliza, let go of me. I'm looking, I'm looking. You've never wait, you hit me. When he looks at me, the way he looks at me, he does not know what I lack or how I am incomplete. He sees me for what I am, as I am. He's happy to see me. Every time, every day. Now, I can either save him, Let him die. It's debating a person's humanity. Yep. Um, 
But even after all of this, Giles still refuses, and he heads out to show Bernie his revised work. He, he refuses not because necessarily he, he thinks she's wrong, but because he is terrified what could happen to him. Yeah, he, he, is, fra- he is afraid of what he might lose. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he gets t- finally meets up with Bernie, he, Bernie's in a rush, but he, he, he's like, no, let me show you. And, and we, uh, we learn that it would seem that the marketing team has decided to go with a photograph after all. Right. It's never ac- explicitly said. Uh, it's still just all in, in subtext. Um, and we get even more of that hint that there used to be something there. And this is officially like Giles is starting to hit rock bottom. Right. Um, and so Giles heads to the pie bar to sink his sorrows in, in pie. In- Key lime pie that he is that he not going to eat. Yep. Um, the pie guy gives him a free slice and mm-hmm. says some very nice things about his art. And Giles flirts back T- and tries touching his arm. He missed. He he misreads this and kind of makes a move. Uh, and pie guy freaks out, jumps up, and he uh, at the time an interracial couple comes in, and he is quick to kick them right the hell out. He's yeah. You know we don't serve you here. You can get something, but you have to leave. Yeah, the bar is full. He specifically says it's reserved for the rest of the day. Yeah, yeah, and which is I had the note because like again I had forgotten about this, so I was just like, oh, I kind of like the pie bar too. Oh, never mind, he's a piece of shit. Yeah, like like I said, as soon as that first scene happens, I remember like beat for beat this scene. Yeah, and my stomach just fled the vicinity. I had to pause it and walk around because it was it was triggering to me. Like it right, was right. Well absolutely just and so much. I mean I'm I'm fortunate enough in my life to have not be the recipient of any kinds of these prejudices. Yeah. But I can understand that this is just it's it's a hard scene to watch yeah. and it's painful to watch. Uh and Giles he leaves. He's you know he's he he is now at rock bottom mm-hmm. and with this revelation he returns to her he's like he tells her i've got nothing and so i will help yeah, you yeah so he, um, he doesn't have anything left to lose so he's going to help her get what she yeah she's going to yeah yeah the russians meet up again with hostetler and he tells them that strickland wants to vivisect the creature um, his superiors give him a popper box that'll fry the electrical box of the labs <laughs> so that he can kill the creature and dispose of the body so that the Americans can't study it. Right. Um, Hoff Settler is very saddened by this. Like I said, he's a man of science before he is a man of his country. Um, and uh, meanwhile, Strickland goes to a Cadillac dealership and buys a shiny new teal car. Yeah. Despite a, uh, hating the Cadillac. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's yeah. not green. It's It's, it's teal. teal. It, um, they're very and, insistent about the terminology. Yep, and I, I just had the note, like, I can't wait for the terrible things to happen to that car. <laughs> yeah. Um, then we, we see Eliza and Giles preparing for their heist. Uh, they're complete with, they're painting Giles as a van to yeah. make it look like a laundry van and forging Eliza's ID badge to give one to Giles. But then we get a scene where Strickland uh, intentionally spills some water on the floor just to call Eliza up and clean it up so he can make some really awful advances Ugh. towards her. Uh, and, oh, it is, it, it's again, one of those just really awful, awkward, horrible scenes. It like, is terrifying. Like when you meet a character who has zero redeeming qualities. Yes. There is nothing in this man's soul. Yeah. Like he, oh man. Every time he uses the word squawk, it's just, oh, 
you feel the centipedes crawling out of his mouth. Yeah, it's and just, down your spine. And down your spine. <laughs> it's so bad. Yeah. Um, but, um, but in, like, at this point, his fingers are starting to turn colors. Yeah, they're not, they're not his finger color anymore. They're, they're like... Um, after her shift, Eliza sets her plan in motion, and a very tense scene then plays out of the plan going off. Mm -hmm. uh, Hofstetler gets clued in and helps Eliza. Zelda finds her in the docking bay and at first tries to stop her, but then she ends up helping her. Uh -huh. uh, Giles is almost caught by security. Before, Giles is caught by security. <laughs> before, yeah, he's, he's caught by security and almost shot. Before yeah, Hofstetler uh, kills the They apparently guard. didn't let the paint dry on the forged ID. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Strickland even almost gets to them, firing uh -huh. several rounds into the back of the fleeing van, but they do eventually get away. After taking out the front end of uh, the caddy. Yep. Which is yep. such a delightful little bit of schadenfreude. It is. It's great. Um, after losing the asset, we begin to see Strickland's dis like steep descent into madness. He's spiraling. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it makes him even scarier. And he was already like one of the most terrifying film villains ever. <laughs> yeah, uh, Fleming and Dusty Str and, and and Strickland as well are convinced that the extraction was done by a skilled special. I love that. Team. Like they're like it has to be like ten people. Yeah, and there's they're, they're uh, like my expert Red opinion. Army special forces. And Highly efficient, ruthless. Clockwork precision. Infiltration took less than five minutes, sir. My conservative estimate is that this was a strike force of at least ten men. And that goes through until the almost the very end almost of the movie. Almost the end, like, yeah. That's what they, they think that they're dealing with. Um, but uh, Giles and Eliza get the amphibian man to her bathtub. She pours a bunch of salt in because he needs salt water. Well, first he starts to, like, suffocate because mm -hmm. he needs the, the salinated water. Yeah. And she's like, oh, shit, and jumps a bunch of, of table salt in there, which mm -hmm. works for him for yeah. now. Yeah, and and there's also kind of this, like, herb that Hofstetler it, gave I don't her. know what that stuff is supposed to be. They, they just say that he needs it. Yeah. So I imagine it's some sort of herb from... South America. From South America, but they don't ever say what it is. It's yeah. just something he needs. Yeah, it, it just it makes the water look like swamp water. Yeah. <laughs> it <laughs> like makes it look like of... they need to change their filter. Yeah. Um, but they, they do it. They get him to safety. They get him the salt water and he, things start to calm down. Um, and at that point, Eliza's walking on air. She's, yeah. She's taking care of and no, she's falling. got a hot live-in boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. She's, she's taking care of and falling in love with the amphibian man over the course of the next several days. Mm -hmm. Uh, she visits the canal at the docks and makes a plan to release him on October 10th when the rainy season brings the levels up high enough for them to get him um, for the gates to open on the yeah. canal um, but we get a neat scene where Eliza gets him a, a card and it is just so adorable oh my, she gets him a greeting card and it's like thank you for being my friend and it's a dude hug, uh, hugging a goldfish in a bowl uh -huh. and she points to the guy and he's like that's me and she points to the fish and says, that's you we're hugging <laughs> uh yeah, apparently Hawkins and Jones had... Uh, I mean, they obviously had to have a lot of chemistry on set. Right. So they spent a lot of time together. They took dancing lessons together. I, they, yeah. They sh shared very personal insecurities to feel vulnerable around each other. And one of my favorite things is before almost every take, they would hold each other, caress each other's faces, and say, I love you. I'm so glad you're here. Oh, man. And... Fuck if it, if that isn't the sweetest thing I've heard yeah. since Kiersey Clemens and her stunt double falling in love in the set of Sweetheart. We've encountered <laughs> some really sweet stories on this podcast, <laughs> in particularly in regards to Fishmen. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know it happens. So it's it's pretty good. I love that. Um, 
But uh, yeah, Strickland ends up going through and interviewing as many people as he can to try to get to the bottom of uh-huh. what happened. Uh, he clearly suspects Hofstetler, but he can't really get anything. He, he doesn't have concrete proof. He, I think he just suspects Hofstetler because he doesn't like him, for yeah. one thing. Yeah. Well, because you know, Hofstetler is resistant who... to, to killing the, the creature. Exactly. Um, so he's trying to... Like, that's essentially what he's doing. He's... He is so maddened and and focused in on this. What he's doing, he's not looking for evidence of what happened. He's looking for evidence to justify his suspicions. Right. Which is not how you do that. No. Um, but, fortunately, it allows Zelda and Eliza to get off scot-free, essentially. Yeah. Like, um, Eliza like it, it, even... For a moment, it seems like he's going to suspect them, and then he's just like... It, it's another thing where he doesn't comprehend the help. Yeah. He yeah, doesn't comprehend just, the people under him. Yeah, he's like... I'm interviewing them. Like, why is this? Yeah. Even... Obviously, they're not smart enough to do this. Uh huh. And and we get a really cool and fun scene of of Eliza getting a little vindicated revenge just... by signing "fuck you" to his face. Yeah, right to his face. <laughs> and she's like, and Strickland just yells itself, like, "What is he? What is she signing? What is she signing?" Yes. <laughs> Zelda's thank like, oh, th- "Thank you. Let's just get out of here." Yeah, it's pretty good. It's a great. I, scene. I love that Zelda is completely fluent in ASL. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> that is amazing. Uh huh. I wonder if if uh, Octavia Spencer is. I didn't look into that. So, while Eliza's at work, Giles mm-hmm. is in charge of watching the amphibian man, but he falls asleep. I mean, it's overnight. Yeah. Uh, and the creature gets up and goes out to explore the apartment. This is the scene where so many people I know turned on the amphibian. Yeah. Just like completely turned on him. Was like, I hate that fucker. I hate. There that were <laughs> there were apparently um, several like cat lovers on uh-huh. set, and they to get this scene removed uh-huh which i understand I oh yeah it. it's a gruesome scene yeah he the the amphibian man fine goes into got giles's apartment and dines on one of his cats yeah um giles understandably freaks out scaring the amphibian man in the process who scratches giles pretty bad and it's not like he's attacking him it's just when he runs by his claws grab yeah, him. he just grabs him and moves by and but and it still cuts him really bad he's up. got Wicked claws cuts him up pretty bad, and uh, and the amphibian man flees the flees the building. Um, Doesn't go very far though. No, because Eliza heads home to find out what happened, and she finds him in the theater downstairs yeah. where he's transfixed with the movie screen. One thing I have to say is that uh, Giles is not like horribly angry at at the at the man at the well, you, amphibian. You think that's what's gonna happen? Yeah, because well, he scratched him up like real he bad, injured killed him, his, killed, killed his, his cat, killed one of his pets, and yeah. In any, in any other movie, you would this would be this like would the, be the, the turning turn. point. Yeah, where he would uh, mm-hmm. immediately like send in a report to Strickland or whoever, it is, right. like, hey, your asset is here, and he ate my cat or whatever. Right, but instead, Giles is surprisingly understanding. Yeah. And he's just like, he he's not from here. He's from somewhere else. And like, yeah, he ate a cat. He was hungry. It's like... He's a I wild mean, animal. That's, that's what wild animals do. That sucks, and I'm, I'm going to miss my cat. But right. <laughs> I'm not going to get super mad at him. I'm not going to hate him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's... Uh, he just Giles didn't understand. Was, and this is, like, this is the scene. Like, I already liked Giles, yeah. but at this point, he I was, was just like, I fuck, I love Giles. Yeah, yeah. And it would have been so easy to have him turn at this point. Because, mm-hmm. like, he's... Uh, another character who's under so much observation and stress and prejudice all the time, it would have been so easy for him to join with the oppressors because he can pass. Mm-hmm. He can pass. No one else in this movie can pass. Mm-hmm. And it would be so easy for him to do that. And the fact that he doesn't is just amazing. Uh huh. Love Giles. Um, and, uh, 
and and you you also get the sense that the amphibian man understands to a degree after the fact what he did. He's, yeah, he's he's interacting with the cats. <laughs> Charles told them, don't play them. with the kitties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's interacting with them, um, and he seems like genuinely remorseful. He even moves over and. And Giles and, and the amphibian man end up like they touch each other's heads for a bit, uh-huh. uh, and then he places his webbed hand on Giles's wounded arm and his, starts to glow. <laughs> he starts to glow slightly at this touch, um, but uh, yeah, it's it's. I mean, we and of course at this point we know what's going on, but the characters haven't. Yeah. It doesn't. Well, we, we can suspect but, what's going on, mm-hmm. but we don't actually know until right a later scene. Yeah. Um, we then have a very tender moment between uh, uh, Eliza and the Amphibian Man exploring each other in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Um, when the Amphibian Man gets a little too curious, Eliza kind of freaks out and rushes out of the room, but later kind of reconsiders, and disrobes, goes and goes to have some hot fish sex. Yeah. Um, and I love, like... Her describing to Zelda later. What? <laughs> yeah, the, oh the next day. God. The next day, Zelda recognizes the after-sex glow that Eliza has. Yeah, and she's she... looking way too happy for someone who is like just yesterday under investigation uh-huh. by the most terrifying man in existence. Yep, and uh, Eliza shares some of the fishy secrets, and Zelda doesn't judge. Yeah, <laughs> she's more thrilled that her friend is happy. Yep. Like, yep. God, I love everyone in this movie except for Strickland. <laughs> yep. Uh, the Russians visit Hofstetler's apartment to discuss what he did with the body. And, in a very intense scene. Yeah, and he clearly suspects that they're there to kill him. They clearly yeah. know what happened, and they're going to kill him. But they fortunately leave without incident, promising that he will be extracted for, for shortly, because, I mean, his job is done. Right. Um, and then at Strickland's home, he's served green jello, but... He's just too stressed out to eat. And his fingers are literally rotting away at this yeah, point. He, They're he, completely black and... Oh, they yeah. apparently smell. Yeah, he, he gets in his car and discovers that they're not doing well. No. Um, and then we get the infamous flooded bathroom scene. Yeah. Um, I don't care how many towels you put under the door. It's <laughs> not going to be watertight. <laughs> like, especially in an apartment that's implied to be kind of a rat hole. Yeah. Like, I like her apartment a lot. It's cute. Uh-huh. I, I like it. There's a lot like, of personality. It's a, I like her little L design of, of her apartment. It's one of those apartments that's that's supposed to be shitty that's nicer than the place I live. Yep. Um, but there's no way it's going to be watertight. There is no <laughs> way it's going to hold any of that water. Like, uh huh. But uh, but that's what happens. Floods the floods the bathroom and they they have a a, a beautiful um, underwater sex scene. Mm-hmm. I um, like the when there's people in the theater and it's raining down on top of them. And they're just like, well, fuck this, and they yep. walk out yep. and. The landlord is like, hey, uh, what's going on up there? And Yeah, I'm losing money. My patrons are asking for money. There were money four back. people in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, I just thought it was funny that, like, because apparently in 1997 for Mimic, America was not ready for an interracial couple. Yeah. Oh, boy, did Tor- Del Toro get the last laugh. <laughs> yeah. God, I, I have to wonder if he was thinking about that. Like, uh-huh. Not like, oh, I'm going to get them, but it's like, hey, they wouldn't let me do that, but oh, they're going to let yeah, me do this, this and you, I'm going to win the Academy Award. Yeah, could you imagine what was going through their minds when this thing won the Best Picture Academy oh. Award? <laughs> I wish he would have said something, because uh-huh. like... Uh, Giles wakes up that next morning to find that his wound has completely healed, and his hair has even started to grow back. Yeah, I, I, I need... Fish man, I need fish man. I yeah. need fish man. <laughs> I, everybody just needs the love of a good fish. Yeah, I oh. 
Giles uh, is also very supportive of Eliza's love, mm-hmm. and that's just great as well. And he starts, like, making drawings of them. Uh-huh. And... Uh, he's also enamored with the amphibian man due yeah. to those healing powers. <laughs> is he a god? He ate a cat, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but... <laughs> oh, look at my arm. The wound. It's like it was never there. Look at that. Uh, you said that... You know, he was worshipped like a god. Now, is he a god? I don't know if he's a god. I mean, he ate a cat, so I, mean, I don't I don't know. I don't know, but, I mean, we have to keep him around a while. Um, the day to release amphi- the Amphibian Man is fast approaching, and Eliza is beginning to have mixed feelings about this. Uh-huh. On one hand, she obviously doesn't want him to go, but on the other hand... He's not she, well. Yeah, she notices that he's dying. He needs to return to the sea. He's, he's losing scales yeah. and... He's like a fish out of water. Yeah. Um, There's that scene where she pulls him into bed and like cuddles with him in the bed, which is something because she doesn't sleep in the bed. Mm-hmm. She, she sleeps, sleeps on the couch. The- so there, there's something there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it. that's that's beyond me. But there's something there. <laughs> um, I, I'm sure if you asked Del Toro, he would give you a dissertation yeah, yeah. about it. But... Um, uh, Hoyt, General Hoyt play, pays Strickland a visit and gives him a very intimidating, decent man speech. When is a man done, sir, proving himself a good man, a decent man? Decent? A man has the decency not to fuck up. Now, that's one thing. That's real decent of But the other kind of decency, it doesn't really matter. We sell it, but it's an export. We sell it because we don't use it. 36 hours from now, this entire episode will be over. And so will you. Our universe will have a hole in it with your outline. And you will have moved on to an alternate universe, a universe of shit. You'll be lost to civilization, and you will be unborn, unmade, and undone. So go get some real decency, son, and unfuck this mess. Like, what the hell is Hoyt going to do to Strickland? Like, he implies he's going to wipe him from existence. (laughs) Is he going to dump him in another dimension? Is he just going to lob him into a black hole? (laughs) I I think it's it's more of a it's more it's more of a metaphorical thing, like. He's basically saying that, like, Strickland is trying to make something of himself, and he's yeah. going to basically wipe him from the pages of history. Like, yeah. nobody's <laughs> going to remember him. It is just like. so intense. <laughs> <laughs> like, no one will remember you. Like, you are going to not be here in this world anymore. Yeah. And it's just, are you going to... If you're just going to kill him, say that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the day to release the amphibian man has finally come, and Eliza is in a lot of turmoil. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has a fantasy to express her feelings where she and the uh, the amphibian man dance and sing together. And she has a full voice. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, she she has this huge dance number scene. Uh, this scene is actually an homage to the dance scene in the 1936 movie Follow the Fleet. Hmm. Um, the set in the scene is from the song Let's Face the Music and Dance from that movie. Okay. Once again, not that type of queer. This mm-hmm. goes over my head. <laughs> uh, Strickland is staking out Hofstetler's apartment and follows him to his extraction point where Hofstetler's comrades shoot him. Um, mm-hmm. they, they shoot Hofstetler and... They shoot him, like, once in the stomach and then, like... Once through the cheek. Once through the cheek, which is a wild shot because it's not, like, through both cheeks. It's just through one of them. Yeah. So they had to shoot him in the open mouth through the cheek. That's a hell of a shot. Yeah. It doesn't kill him, but uh, Strickland shows up just in time and kills the two goons. Mm-hmm. And then begins torturing Hofstetler to find Ugh. out more information about the strike force that he believes stole the asset. Yeah. With his last breath, Hofstetler makes a comment that it wasn't a strike force, but the cleaners. Yeah, they, they just clean is what he says. Mm-hmm. Uh, this finally tips Strickland off to who was actually responsible. Uh, he quickly goes to Zelda's house and threatens her, and even goes so far as to rip his own dying fingers off. And they make a gross sound. It's awful. Uh, she doesn't budge. She is ready to die for Eliza. Her husband, on the other hand, spills the beans and Strickland races off to get to Eliza. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zelda calls and warns her first. Uh, they all end up at the docks where Strickland shoots the uh, the amphibian man in Eliza. Uh, Giles slams Strickland's nose with a piece of wood. Mm-hmm. It's very vindicating. It's very pleasant yeah, to watch. It looks um, solid. Very solid. And then the amphibian man stands up and heals himself and then slashes out Strickland's throat, whose last words are... Fuck. You are a god. And, um, you know, of course, the amphibian man takes Eliza's body into the water where he kisses her, bringing her back and giving her gills. Like opening those, or transforming those scars into gills. Yep. Yeah, there was a, I left out this little bit, but there was a lot of debate online about um, about that, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of, there's a, it's, it's speculated that Eliza was actually never human to begin with. Right. That she was actually I've seen a fish. That. I didn't include that because I personally don't like that I idea. don't see that myself. Like, I mean, I, I like the, the, like the belief that he is a god. Like he is some sort of godlike creature and mm-hmm. he just transformed her into uh, a form that could live underwater. Like, right. Right. I and mean, he used what he had at hand, which was those scars. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, there's not really any explanation. Like, I can see the merit. I can see the, the why people right. subscribe to that belief. I just don't. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. So. But, uh, but yeah, like, I, I tried to rush towards the end there because when I was writing the synopsis, it was getting to be about two in the morning and I was getting tired. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that was, uh, that was the shape of water. I think it's uh, no it, overstatement yeah. to say an absolute masterpiece of a film. It's the best movie we've watched on this show, and likely will will be one of the best right. that we do. I mean, there's some there's some contenders I've yeah, got planned, yeah. but and there's definitely stuff I like. Like, like I said, I like pretty much everything we've done to some degree and to some variation. <laughs> right, right. There's a couple that I'm I've been you know down on, but but uh, but I, no, this one is straight up a masterpiece. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're going to go ahead and take a break here real quick, and then we're going to jump into a very brief crunch, um, and, uh, we'll do that. I'm so happy, I'm overjoyed, we're going to hang out tonight. I can't walk, can't move, cause I'm paralyzed by your love, and that's okay by me. I'm so happy, 
Okay, so welcome back to our Creature Crunch. We are now going to crunch us up an amphibian man. Mm-hmm. So, um, I... Gonna, we're going to dive right into this pun intended. Um, I call this man the Icosophibian. I'm not going to try to pronounce that. It's, uh, it comes from the uh, Icosahedron mm-hmm. that the movie takes its name from, and Amphibian. Okay. So, he's a medium beast, a neutral good. He's got an armor class of 10. Okay. Uh, 22 hit points, speed of 30 feet, and a swim speed of 50 feet. We okay. see him move a lot faster underwater than oh, yeah, anyone, yeah. you know, walking. Uh, he's, his stats are, his, or his attributes are not anything to write home about. Um, okay strength and constitution, um, decent wisdom. You know, he's got a nine in intelligence. He's, he's a beast, but he is obviously very smart for a beast. I didn't feel comfortable with giving him too high of an intelligence, mm-hmm. but, uh, and then he's got a 14 in charisma. I mean, he's got sensual lips. He does. Uh, passive perception of 11. I gave him damage vulnerability to lightning. Yeah. I mean, it's... A cattle prod's gonna mess anybody up, but <laughs> as far as D&D goes, it's the only thing I got. Well, for, he's a water type. Yep. <laughs> he is a water type. And then, uh, now the, the interesting thing here with languages is I had to kind of do something different. Because uh-huh. sign languages, there's not... I couldn't really think of an analog in D&D that I am aware of. Yeah. So I just... This it, thing knows sign language. Yeah. Done. Can't speak, can't do anything else, just sign language. Yeah. Um, he's only got a challenge rating of one half because he's... Well, why would anybody ever fight him? <laughs> he, is a, he is a good guy. Um, the only reason, like, like you kept saying, like, he is a god, essentially, in the movie, mm-hmm. and they'd say it and they bring it up in the movie as well, but, like, he bleeds, he's yeah, very yeah. easy to kill, apparently. Like, he's a fish. So I didn't want to make him too tough. Also, this is not really a creature that... The players are intended to fight. Yeah. Unless, I guess, you're doing a pure evil campaign. But Don't do that. No, don't do that. Um, so I, I went a different direction with this guy here. Uh, his traits now, uh, he's obviously got the limited amphibiousness directly pulled from the Sawajin. That is literally what we see. Mm-hmm. You know, he can breathe air and water, but he needs to be submerged at least once a day. Uh, at least once every four hours to avoid suffering. Or he's not going to make it. Yeah. Like, that's... I, I thought about entering in, like differentiation between salt water and fresh water, but I think that's getting a little too crunchy. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't think you need to do that. Um, he's got innate healing. Okay. Um, if, as long as he has not been reduced to zero hit points, uh, he regains 2d8 plus 2 hit points at the beginning of each of his turns. Man, what's his HP looking like? Oh, that's pretty... It's He's, he's easy that's to... a considerable amount, yeah. Yeah, he, he's easy to hit, he's easy to kill. But if you don't kill him, he's just going to be bouncing right back up on his yeah. next turn. We literally see that in the movie. Yeah. So, um, and then I gave him this. This is one of my favorite abilities. The love of the sea is what I call it. The Icosophibian can confer the ability to breathe and swim underwater to another creature. If a willing target spends at least one minute completely submerged underwater while in contact with the Icosophibian, they gain the benefits of the aquatic adaptation effects as if having cast the alter self spell without the need to concentrate on said spell that's so, pretty cool yeah it basically that, yeah. gives them yeah it just gives them gills mm-hmm. so um and then he also i gave him innate spell casting uh his spell casting ability is charisma uh, with a modifier of plus two and he can innately cast cure wounds three times a day um, All right, then. Yep. Beyond that, he's got multi-attack. He can make a bite and a claw attack. Uh, claw, plus three to hit. Average of three damage, one, 1d4 plus one. Mm-hmm. And a bite, plus three to hit. 
And, uh... Yeah, nothing... Like, he probably shouldn't be attacking. Yeah, yeah, 1d4 plus 1 piercing damage. So, he's not made for combat. He no. is made... For love. He is made for love. And that is my Icus Ophibian. I like him. I appreciate that. 10 out of 10 would date. <laughs> yeah, um, thank you so much for listening. Um, I mean, if you... Uh, we we had a f- lot of fun with this one. I mean, we obviously it, like, have mixed feelings of Valentine's Day itself. But, but this movie is wonderful. It is an amazing movie, um, and we love it to death. This this movie is our Valentine's. Um, <laughs> will, will you be our Valentine movie? Um, <laughs> Fishman. <laughs> Doug Jones. <laughs> love me, Doug Jones. Why won't you respond to me to my love? <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, uh, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at Creature Crunch. Uh, follow our Patreon for extra bonus content. Um, mm-hmm. With uh, at the very least, right now uh, we got the Critter Kibbles episodes. Not one for this, but no, because this is, this is already a bonus episode. So, yeah. what, do, what do you want from us? Yeah, we got bonus. We got we've got tons of bonus episodes on the Kibbles. Uh, uh-huh. Bonus stat blocks and other rules. All sorts of uh, fun, more goofy stuff for yep. you to drop into your your campaigns. Yep. And then uh, you can also reach out to us uh, via email, creaturecrunchpodcast at gmail.com. Um, let us know if you use any of these things in your campaigns or in your games. Make sure to look on D&D Beyond for these creatures. You yep. can search them up by their creature name or look for uh, Matt's uh, author name on there, which is the underscore best underscore disguise. Yep. And uh, yeah, and you can, uh, you can also reach out to us individually on Twitter. Uh, Chris, where we can where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the Library C. That's C E E, not S E A, which is where this man lives. And you can get me uh, at Danny underscore Hamsteak as well. So, and until then, uh, keep loving yourself, some fishmen, and we will see you next time.